everyone. Welcome back to the podcast, uh, the Logical Bible Study Podcast, where we do an exegesis of the gospel reading from today's Mass. And we're continuing in the Gospel of Mark. So if you go to Mass today, you'll hear from Mark chapter 9, verse 30 to 37. So let's start by reading the passage. Jesus and his disciples made their way through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know because he was instructing his disciples. He was telling them, The Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of men. They will put him to death. And three days after he has been put to death, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he said and were afraid to ask him. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? They said nothing because they had been arguing which... One of them was the greatest. So he sat down and called the twelve to him and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must make himself last of all and servant of all. He then took a little child, set him in front of them, put his arms around him and said to them, Anyone who welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. So let's start at the start here. So verse 30, Jesus and his disciples made their way through Galilee. So this is the northern seaside area of Israel, and this is where Jesus lives, and he does most of his ministry in Galilee. For most of the Gospel of Mark, he's been in in Galilee, and he returns there. When Mark says Jesus and his disciples made their way through Galilee, probably means this is spanning a little bit of time, maybe a few months, they're moving through Galilee. But this time his visit to Galilee is a bit different from last time because he did not want anyone to know because he was instructing his disciples. Whereas most of the time when he's in Galilee, he's doing public ministry with the crowds. Here he's having private time with his disciples. So this is kind of the last bit of quality time he'll get with the disciples before the final weeks. So he wants to give them as much information as possible before they head to Jerusalem. Verse 31, he was telling them, And the Greek here indicates that he continually tells them, so he's teaching them this several times. The Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of men. They will put him to death, and three days after he has been put to death, he will rise again. So Jesus is telling his disciples some fairly specific things that are going to happen to him. He's actually already said this to them once. So when we looked at Mark chapter 8, we talked about the things that he's predicting. We talked about what it means to say that he'll rise again in three days. So this is stuff the disciples have all heard before. He's been telling them this since Mark chapter 8. One phrase in particular that's worth talking about, though, is here he says, the Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of men. Or the more literal translation of that is handed over to men. So this phrase, handed over, is commented a lot in the early church. A lot of the early church fathers talk about what it means that Jesus was handed over. Later in the Passion narrative, the word handed over happens a lot. He gets handed over to Herod. He then gets handed over to to Pilate. And then he gets handed over to the guards. So Jesus is multiple times handed over. And in fact, Paul takes takes this to a different level. Paul, in Romans chapter 8, verse 32 says, God did not spare his son, but handed him over for us all. So even God was the one who's doing the handing over, it would seem. So 
Um, it's just worth pointing out that that phrase handed over has gotten a lot of attention, particularly in the early church. Verse 32, but they did not understand what he said. Why don't the disciples understand what he's saying? He's giving them some, he's not speaking in parables. He's actually speaking plainly to them. What's so difficult to understand? Well, there's a couple of possibilities here. It could be that because Jesus is saying the son of man will be delivered into the hands of men and he's using the language of the son of man. He's not saying I will be delivered into the, uh, into the hands of sinners. He's saying the son of man will be. And maybe they're not really sure what that means because perhaps they're not sure if he's the son of man. So that's possible, but it's more likely that they know he is the son of man, but they just don't believe that the Messiah would go through those things. Because remember, the dominant view about the Messiah at the time was that the Messiah would be a political uh, a political leader who would bring in the kingdom of Israel. And they didn't, uh, this idea of a suffering servant, which is in the Old Testament actually, but they had forgotten that part largely and they just saw the Messiah as a victorious Messiah. So they couldn't quite comprehend that Jesus is saying the Messiah is going to suffer. They're afraid to ask him. So they feel like maybe if they did ask him, this is interesting, We can. this is a hypothetical, but perhaps if they did ask him what he meant, he would have clarified and told them some more information. But we just don't know because they don't ask him. Verse 33, so a new stage in the story now. They came to Capernaum. So that's Jesus' hometown in the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. This is actually the final time Jesus is is at his house in Capernaum, the last time they're in Capernaum. So they came into the house, and this is the house of Peter and Andrew, who live in Capernaum, and Jesus has made it his own house as well. And he spends a lot of time in this house of Peter and Andrew. And you can actually go to Capernaum today and see this house. They've uncovered it. It's quite a large house with various rooms, and they reckon they've found like the prayer meeting room where Jesus would have had a lot of these conversations. Jesus asks them, what were you arguing about on the road? So he's heard them arguing earlier, and we have two possibilities here. Either he knows what they're arguing about, and he's just asking the question to get the conversation started, or he actually doesn't know what they're arguing about. And that's how the catechism um, takes it to mean, that he doesn't know. Certainly there are times when Jesus knows some supernatural things, but it seems to be something that he switches on and off at different times. So they said nothing, verse 34. They're embarrassed and they don't want to tell Jesus what they've been arguing about. We learn from Mark that they had been arguing which one of them was the greatest. So what? it seems really silly. Why, why would the disciples, the followers of Jesus, ask about who is the greatest? Well, they've been doing ministry with Jesus for a while now. They've, all, they've been sent out to individual towns. Remember earlier in Mark, they were sent off on individual missions and they were each given the power to do healings and exorcisms. So presumably each of them has racked up a good number of miracles, if you like, and maybe they're kind of comparing miracles or comparing scorecards. This is the second time the disciples have shown a completely inappropriate response to Jesus' predictions of his passion. Remember last time Jesus predicted his passion, Peter said, not so, Lord, this will not happen to you. And this time they've just done another really inappropriate response as well. Now, this certainly isn't Christian behavior. The disciples shouldn't have been arguing about if they're really, you know, really transformed by God, they wouldn't be concerned about who is the greatest. But probably it was normal behavior for Jewish men at the time to be a bit competitive and to ask each other who's got the best scorecard. That's probably normal behavior. 
Why does Mark include this? It seems like a fairly embarrassing thing to include about the disciples, particularly if Peter is the source of this. Peter is being very honest in telling Mark uh, what's happened here. So Mark doesn't spare the disciples' weakness, but it's not so that we can marvel at their ineptitude and go, oh, how silly are those disciples? Mark has put this in there so that we as the readers, and he's certainly his original audience, can come face to face with our own tendencies to seek glory in competition with others, which of course hinder us from yielding ourselves to God's marvellous plan. So Mark wants us to recognise that we can be like this sometimes. Verse 35, he sat down. This is the teaching position. Sitting means teaching. He's probably sitting on a seat somewhere in the house, and we know that Jesus sits down for quite a few significant sermons. So in Luke's gospel, when he sits down in the synagogue and reveals that he's here to do the messianic mission, he's sitting down. On the Sermon on the Mount, he's probably sitting down there as well. He calls the twelve to him. So this is a private briefing with just the twelve disciples. And he says to them, if anyone wants to be first. So what does the word first mean? It means to have priority over others. And that's obviously what the disciples wanted. Jesus has worked out what they're arguing about. And he says, all right, let me tell you what it means to be first. Probably the disciples, well, we know that the disciples were thinking about firstness in terms of earthly power and accomplishments. They thought that's what it means to be first who has the highest scorecard. But Jesus, as he goes on here, seems to be using the word first to talk about those who are most honoured in the kingdom of heaven. Not those who are most honoured on earth, but those who will be most honoured in the kingdom of heaven. He says, if anyone wants to be first, he must make himself last of all and servant of all. So rather than the earthly kings and the Romans that they were familiar with, who lorded it over the people, Jesus says the twelve are called to be servants of all people and use their authority to serve. This would be a very radical idea in the ancient world because humility and weakness were not viewed as virtues. The Jewish religion didn't really seem to see that as virtuous. They were seen as signs of weakness. No one would ever want to be hu- humble, really, or weak. So that's this is one thing that set Christianity apart from Judaism in the early years, is that Christians saw humility as a virtue, and almost, you could say, service as a virtue, whereas Judaism didn't really have that same emphasis. Interestingly here, the Greek word for servant is diakonos, which is where we get the word deacon from in our church today. Jesus now takes a child, so that tells us that there's children in this in this house of Peter and Andrew, so probably part of Peter and Andrew's extended family, and we know, because you can go and look at this house in Capernaum, that there's a lot of rooms. So probably a large extended family lived in this house. And he puts the child in the midst of them. So imagine the scene. They're in this sort of prayer room. Jesus plonks the, the boy, the young boy, down in the middle of the apostles. And he's about to give them a teaching. This is a teaching moment. He put his arms around him. So this is a beautiful scene that shows Jesus' tenderness. And you can obviously see lots of pictures of this if you look it up. It's possibly one of Jesus' own relatives, though most likely not, because Jesus is in someone else's house here. He's in Peter's house. So maybe it's one of Peter's relatives, that he, and he puts his arms around this little boy. Now, firstly, he's, Jesus here is going to say, anyone who receives one of these children, and we first need to talk about what it means to receive a child. 
How can you receive a child in that culture? Well, in the ancient world, children were viewed as basically non-persons. They didn't have any rights or a status. So to accept a child would mean to lovingly serve and take care of the child, which not everyone wanted to do, really, because they weren't seen as, you could almost say they weren't seen as really human. So Jesus is teaching his disciples that they must have generosity and responsibility to the outcasts and the most helpless. That's what he's saying they need to do. Receive a child in my name. A child is an outcast and somewhat helpless. So he's telling his disciples that's what they're called to do in society. So the full sentence here is, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is in some sense identifying himself with the outcasts of this world. So that whenever they are welcomed, and whenever the disciples welcome little children, helpless people, Jesus is in some mysterious sense welcomed as well. Jesus is present in the downcasts and the outcasts of society. He then goes on, Whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. So what does this mean? Well, in the ancient world, a messenger... On behalf, who is being sent on behalf of someone, was supposed to be afforded the same respect and dignity as the authority who sent him. So if the king sent a messenger, typically people would respect the messenger just as much as they would respect the king. And in fact, the way you treated the messenger was seen as a reflection of what you thought of the king himself. So Jesus is making a radical claim here. Our treatment of outcasts in society is a reflection of what we think of Jesus And Jesus takes it one step further. In fact, it's a reflection of how we treat God and how we see God. The way we treat our castes is a reflection on the way we view God. That's Jesus' claim here. Interestingly, the phrase when he says here, receives not me, but the one who sent me, that's alluding to Jesus' mission. He's been sent from God in the incarnation. This is a clear teaching that Jesus is sent from God. The word for send is apostello, apostello. So this verse actually tells us that Jesus is the apostle of the Father. The Father has sent Jesus as an apostle, and Jesus' own apostles are kind of like an extension of the apostolic ministry that's given to Jesus. So to wrap it up here, what's the connection between the bit about arguing about who the greatest is, which is what happened earlier, It seems like Jesus does the thing with the child in response to their argument about who the greatest is. So what's the connection? What's he trying to say? Jesus is using welcoming children as an example of how the disciples are called to become the least. They're called to serve people. They're called to give of themselves to the most vulnerable in society. Jesus is saying that that's how you become the greatest, by looking after the outcasts in society. And certainly that's what made Christianity grow in the early centuries was the way that they looked after the outcasts in society. So where does this appear in the Catechism? It appears in a couple of places, a few brief references. So in paragraph 557, which is part of the discussion about what happens just before Jesus goes to Jerusalem, it says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. By this decision, he indicated he was going up to Jerusalem prepared to die there. Three times he had announced his passion and resurrection. Paragraph 474, as we mentioned before, the Catechism takes this verse as an example of a time when Jesus doesn't know something. 
So paragraph 474 says, By its union to the divine wisdom in the person of the word incarnate, Christ enjoyed his human knowledge, in his human knowledge, the fullness of understanding of the eternal plans he had come to reveal. What he admitted to not knowing in this area, he elsewhere declared himself not sent to reveal. So earlier in Mark, in this passage we heard today, in Mark chapter 9, Jesus asks the disciples, what were you arguing about? And uh, the catechism uses that as evidence. This is one of the things Jesus didn't know. I'm not so sure if that is the right interpretation, because if you read the passage from Mark chapter 9 carefully, Jesus asks them, what are you arguing about? No one tells him the answer, but somehow he knows what they were arguing about. So I think here Jesus did actually know what they were arguing about, and he wasn't ignorant of it. Still, though, the point still holds. There are some things in Jesus' ministry that he didn't know. Paragraph 1824 in the section on charity also uses Mark chapter 9. It says, Christ died out of love for us while we were still enemies. The Lord asks us to love as he does, even our enemies, to make ourselves the neighbor of those farthest away and to love children and the poor as Christ himself. So you'll hear that last bit about loving the poor and children as Christ himself is a clear reference here to Mark chapter 9. Anyone who receives this little child receives me, is what Jesus says. That's the end of today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please keep tuning in. We'll see you again tomorrow.